market, if they ever plan on cashing out, that is to say, sort of just fully rip the cord, collect your coins, and just like drink umbrella drinks or, or do, do whatever you want to do, right? Hey, podcast listener, you're about to discover insider tips, tricks, and secrets to making more sales and converting more prospects into customers with email marketing. For more information about the email marketing podcast or the autoresponder guy, go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. Hey, everybody. It's another edition of the podcast. I'm David Allen, and we have a guy who was on the show originally. You can go back and listen to this. It was number 62. His name is Dan Fagella. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> He's a very interesting individual. When I went back and looked at the past podcast and went and tried to learn about Dan a little bit, He's into some really diverse things, really interesting things. You'll uh, go back and listen to the the martial arts business he built up and eventually sold. Uh, He used email marketing in very clever ways. And today we're going to talk about primarily two things. We're going to talk about how you build up a company so that it's saleable and build it up with direct response. And then we're going to get into a little weird. We're going to get into some AI and sort of, uh, you know, how tech and in our world is sort of, you know, becoming overwhelmed with tech and where's that, where's that going and where marketing and tech meet. And Dan seems to know a lot about that. So we're going to just jump right in. Dan, how are you? Doing great, Dave. Glad to be here, man. Yeah, it's exciting because uh, we don't get to delve into some of these weirder topics and sort of, uh, <laughs> you know, on a daily basis. Yeah, I was, so I was going to say, I can imagine artificial <laughs> intelligence and machine learning is not exactly the regular par for the course, but there is a lot of overlap with marketing. So that'll be fun. Awesome. Well, maybe uh, start off with like where we left off is because I kind of feel like yeah. this is like a Star Wars sequel it, or something. It, it kind of is, I guess. Um, what was it 2014 when John had me on? I think back so. In the yeah. Day? Okay. Yeah. So um, it, that that was I think by that point maybe we were doing like 40 or 60 grand a month uh, right. selling kind of martial arts and Brazilian Jiu Jitsu educational programs online with a lot of email marketing. Um, what we ended up doing was broadening that business, Dave, out to the general kind of self-defense, self-protection market, which is much larger than, let's say, the martial arts crowd, which is uh, kind of a a significantly small niche. The number of people that actively train martial arts versus the number of folks with a general interest in self-protection is vastly different. Now, the martial arts folks are a lot more engaged pound for pound, Mm -hmm. but there's just not enough of them to build a multi-million dollar company. So um, in order to get to I think at the end of last year was like 2.2 or 2.3 million bucks at the end of 2016 in terms of total top line uh, revenue. Um, In order to get there, we had to broaden out to uh, self-defense, self-protection, ended up selling a lot of physical products. So um, DVD sets, folding knives, things like that, and then just sold the company in in February for a hair over a million bucks. Nice. And how many partners? Did you have a partner in that? Again? No, no, nothing. Okay. It was uh, the sole the sole owner. I had one full time employee, one part time employee, a couple contractors. So um, I definitely made sure that some of my right hand men who were there with me mm-hmm. from the uh, from the early days were were kind of given their fair reward for sticking with you know right. crazy Fagella through all our, our uh, <laughs> you know three three or four years of, of hustle bustle. But right. uh, so it made it worth their while for sure because I had a great team that I was really proud of. But it, it, there were no partners. It was it was really just me as the owner. And luckily we, cool. we were able to get a deal with 90% cash down to facilitate kind of the Silicon Valley venture and fund that up so I can move on. Nice. Yeah, well, I, we just had a, in fact, it just got released 
this morning of this recording, actually, a guy by the name of Justin Goff, mm-hmm. uh, who was a supplement, uh, owner of a supplement business, part owner of a supplement business. And he talked a lot about, on the, on the people can go and listen to it, but he talked about how you know he could scale it up to a certain level with that sort of what you're talking about, with that certain small number of employees. And that's why he ended up bringing on partners was to facilitate really the structure, the infrastructure and so forth. He was good at the copy and the marketing and all that yep. stuff. Cause, but it was the rest of the stuff he wasn't good at in managing the people and so forth. And so they ended up scaling it up from like one and a half million to like 23 million before he sold it here maybe like two weeks ago. That's excellent. So Goff is, uh, he's, he's out now. He, he got yeah. the sale. Yeah, he's un- unemployed and unemployable, as he said. fantastic so that's 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 excellent i i feel the same way a lot of the time yeah do you do you so did you sort of encounter that like once you got to that certain level did you feel like it would take a massive sort of shift Uh, to get to the next level or how did you feel about that you know i mean i actually feel fine about managing people um and that was my second business and it was the second business that i've sold uh so uh, and, and that business, to be clear, uh, was started four years ago explicitly for the purpose of funding what I'm doing now, which is market research and media in the artificial intelligence space. So I built that company to be kind of a sacrificial lamb uh, for cash uh, for a much larger endeavor that I was planning. So I, I, I never planned on science of skill. To be honest, Dave, I, I thought I would get to half a million bucks top line, sell it and move on. But as it turns out, the SBA and the banks that are going to get these deals closed and you know send a 900 grand wire transfer to your <laughs> bank account, as it turns out, those banks, they want to see three years of tax returns. So mm. I had to, I had to kind of spend half my time doing artificial intelligence, TED Talks and writing and media and all that, and then the other half of my time selling stuff on the internet. But so long as I was running it, I decided we might as well kind of keep doubling it. So I would have had no issues personally uh, expanding the team and continuing right. to grow that uh, if it was my life purpose. But as it turns out, my life purpose is in uh, kind of artificial intelligence uh, policy and technology stuff. So awesome. um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, you, can, you can't you can stay super lean for eternity. You can right. stay super lean for a certain amount of time. And then and then you you really do have to staff up. Right. So when you made this decision to build a company, to be the sacrificial lamb, as you put it, Yep. What sort of decisions uh, went into that? Like now, obviously, it turned out you needed to hang on to it a little longer than originally yeah. planned. Oh yeah, <laughs> by it sounds. But what other things did you learn along the way that sort of made it easier or harder to uh, to turn it into what you wanted? For sure. Well, I mean, you know, we're talking to a direct response crowd for this show, I think, right. Dave. So I'll, I'll speak t- to a, a direct response kind of perspective here. One of the really interesting uh, facets, and I didn't know this going in. But one of the really interesting facets about direct response businesses is that generally they don't sell. So um, you can sell stuff and make money, but you you generally can't get uh, a substantial exit. Now, even our exit, you know, if you look at the multiple of net, it wasn't substantial. I mean, it was definitely an outlier in terms of cash down, and I designed it to be that way. And it was an outlier in terms of, you know, I haven't had to lift a finger since I sold it because the agreement was you know, you won't really need me anymore. And here's the proof. And if you buy it, then, you know, I'm out of here. Right. Um, so it's an outlier in terms of hands offness and cash down, but in terms of like a multiple, it wasn't what you get for a software company. These are things I didn't really know um, going in. Few reasons for that, Dave. And these are really important for your market. If they ever plan on cashing out, that is to say, sort of just p- fully rip the cord, collect your coins and just like 
drink umbrella, drink umbrella drinks or, or do, do whatever you want to do. Right. Right. Like, and now for me, unfortunately, it's not umbrella drinks. It's paying exorbitant San Francisco rent and building another large uh, company. But, right. um, but you know, if you want to drink umbrella drinks, uh, you know, you could. So if you do want to do that, um, the, the important considerations are that there's a few things that keep these businesses from selling. And you yeah. see this over and over in direct response. One of them is, is that they're personality dependent. Right. They're personality dependent. That is to say, they're tied around a guru or a person, a person. So, you know, Billy Stevens, the fitness guru, creates an internet marketing website. doesn't really matter if Billy Stevens gets, gets, to, gets to $2 million. If every email comes from Billy Stevens, every video involves Billy Stevens, every Instagram post is from Billy Stevens' cell phone, um, then what are, how are you going to sell? Like if, you're, if your mm. child gets some kind of crazy disease and you need hundreds of thousands of dollars right away, there is no exit plug uh, for, for those businesses, right? Like you, you just don't have an exit plug. Like you just kind of let it die. Uh, so a business that's entirely predicated around an individual is a big problem. Now, how a lot of guys in the internet marketing business uh, square this circle is that they come up with fake characters. So they come up with, you know, Jake O'Malley, who becomes like the quote unquote guy that all the emails are coming from. Um, that can solve the problem a little bit, um, but it gets into a second issue as to why these businesses uh, often don't sell. And the second issue is that uh, there's a lot of skeevy stuff selling things on the internet. Um, and in the direct response world, skeeviness uh, is, is actually somewhat common. So um, when I say skeeviness, I mean like kind of overly exorbitant claims, mm. um, you know, completely fabricated stories for the sake of selling something, right. uh, or, or um, you know, small print that's so small that no one would ever find it that like <laughs> built that like ends up billing people for things they didn't sign up for and, and stuff like that. Right. So um, th those are facets, right? In addition to the fake guy, like mm -hmm. in, in the in selling to the self protection world, you know, three quarters of the people selling to that space are sending from uh, a character, you know, right. a guy by the name of like, I'm Jeff Bridges. And I you're right, they have like a yeah. voice actor and they and look, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, I'm not I'm not saying like, you're morally wrong. I'm just saying if your audience doesn't really know that that's the case, look, I mean, you can make money doing it. But what happens, uh, Dave, mm -hmm. is you, you take a business like that to market. And a lot of people who look under the hood are going to be like, I'm not going to fucking run that. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just not like, I'm not going to sit behind these cranks and turn them because like, this makes me uncomfortable. Nobody can read that. I'm not going to sell it. Uh, that's not a real person. I'm not going to send as that guy. That's not a real promise. I can't do that. So um, in internet marketing, you can make uh, a lot of money by making really over-the-top claims. But what happens is if you ever try to sell that, as soon as a pr prospective buyer looks under the hood, they realize that your dollars are based entirely, they're predicated on farce, Dave. Right. Um, so they're predicated on farce. I, I use those words very, uh, right. very deliberately. So um, predicated. The business model is predicated on farce. Um, and so that's another reason direct response businesses often don't sell. Last reason I'll give you, Dave, mm -hmm. is that there really aren't any strategic buyers, or let me put it this way. It's very rare for there to be strategic buyers. If you, if you sell, Dave, for example, I'm here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, and this, this next business I'm building is going to be quite different from the kind of recurring revenue business that I, I built to fund it. But um, if, you, if you build, like, let's say, I don't know, B2B file transfer software for like some kind of niche type of file, like, I don't know, some kind of 3D CAD type model thing. And you build some like proprietary way of like condensing those files 
for like B2B transfer, like within or between companies or something. I'm just coming up with a random example. Okay. Like you, you might be making, I don't know, a hundred grand profit per year, but if there's some huge company that makes, you know, 200 million, 400 million per year in revenue, and they deal with a lot of those kind of files, they may buy you for some uh, exorbitant amount of, of money that doesn't really reflect your profit because there's a, your, your yield to them, Dave, right. is not just the money you're going to bring into them. Your yield is the financial rewards that will be the result of merging with that other entity, right? So right. You, your value is bigger than your bottom line. Now, in direct response, it's super unusual and super mm. unlikely for there to be strategic acquirers. Right. Um, e- even less likely than like really boring businesses like pizza chains and stuff. Right. Like even pizza chains, like it could be like that's real estate. That's you know a, a differentiator. Okay, yada yada. So um, you know you're building something that's not that hard to replicate. There's no strategic buyers. A lot of it's predicated on farce. A lot of it's tied around personality. So basically, in the process of selling. Um, what I had to do was kind of be the opposite of all those things. I guess if it's helpful, if you want, I can mm-hmm. talk about like, you know, a few of the holy crap I needed to make sure to do this every day yeah, in order absolutely. to make sure. Okay, got it. Yeah. So, um, so one, one of those aspects, uh, David, ar- around the, the personality aspect was sort of twofold. Number one, really not making myself critical to the marketing, the messaging, the content, et cetera, but also uh, doubly important. Um, not making myself critical to the operations of the business. Mm. So one of the most important things that I did early on is whenever we, we determined kind of a, a particular distinct class of responsibilities in the business, a process for the business, let's say customer service, let's say um, um, email, internal email promotion management, let's say uh, uh, external marketing spend uh, or outside spend, whether it be Facebook or email or whatever, Whenever we determined a process, we would determine the, the KPIs for that process that correlate most closely to profit and to growth. So we would say, okay, of, of this area, let's say it's internal uh, email promotions, what are the numbers here that ultimately tie most to, to profit and to growth uh, for the business? If we can sort of put them in a nutshell, try to come up with a handful. And, and what we ended up doing was distilling all the major business processes into a fistful of numbers that we could look at every single Monday as a, as a team, we would go soup to nuts. We'd have a guy in India that would fill out all the data. And then on Monday we would go over all the numbers and the whole team would be able to kind of align their priorities, calibrate their actions, know what was working, what wasn't working, uh, take those corrective measures and sort of avoid big catastrophes of customer service, big catastrophes of delivery, big right. catastrophes of marketing because we could see what was going well or not well right away. So that, that got to the point where I could be gone for a week. Um, and we could make, you know, the same amount of money as to, to when I was actually there. So being able to, to get a pulse across the business is a big part of that. Does this depend on you as a person question? Cause the answer to that question, Dave has to be no, if you want to sell. Yep. So the dashboard's kind of one aspect, happy to go into whatever else you think would be helpful. No, I think that's a good place to start because <clears throat> that is, and what you're saying is uh, true. Uh, you look around at direct response companies and you said they just kind of die off as opposed to being uh, sold because yeah, it is these tight. guys don't get acquired. Yeah. Cause it's just a completely different, uh, and maybe not many people have gone to links you have to sort of figure out how to either reverse that or, 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 or begin to set things up. 
Or did you make that, you know, uh, realization sort of partway into it and sort of say, oh, wait a second. Or because you started with the idea to sell, you sort of made sure all along that that was something. Definitely, definitely a combination of both. So good question. I think um, I definitely began with the end in mind. So I, I told myself, I want to be lean. I want to have high margins. I want to have consistent growth. Like I want to grow 100% plus every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to... Uh, and, and I want to have recurring revenue, right? So I determined right. a whole bunch of things I knew I would need in order to get as good of a as good of a, a kind of exit as I could. So I knew a lot of that going in, but there were a lot of things, Dave, that I did have to learn the hard way about kind of management process systems. You know, what gets a buyer excited, what doesn't get a buyer excited, right. um, all, all those different sort of sub facets and, and factors. I think when you mention how internet marketing businesses kind of die away. I mean, I've actually talked to a lot of guys in this space um, who, who, who have outright said stuff like, yeah, this isn't really something we could ever sell. Like, right. they, they're, and these are guys making ten, like tens of millions of dollars. <laughs> right. So ten, tens of millions. So I'm talking like this particular case, not naming names, like, mm-hmm. I don't know, 30 million when we were actually having the conversation. I was like, yeah, this isn't a thing we're going to sell. And, and that's because of a full-blown recognition of the dependence on personality and a full-blown recognition of like the griminess of the marketing material, right? right? Like full blown recognition that like nobody's going to touch us with a 10 foot pole. We're just going to make money while we can make it. And to me, that's, that's kind of like, I get it, I guess, but it's, it's a bit of a shame, right? I think Mm -hmm. it's a reflection of kind of the short termism that often comes along with direct response. Uh, And I think if people sort of, if your goal is at some point unplug and then do what you want with your family, your life, et cetera, then mm-hmm. I think, I think you, you start off uh, in the early days avoiding the, the things that I had mentioned, which, which mm-hmm. kind of will make you unsaleable. Maybe speak to some of the things that get the buyers excited or, or cool. obviously that's one thing that gets the buyers turned off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we talked about a lot of things that kind of, you know, harsh realities of, uh, of, of the, the online marketing, uh, direct marketing kind of world. Um, things that, that I think play to your favor uh, in, in this particular regard. We talked about one being kind of metrics, like really owning your metrics, very clean data, very consistent data that the entire team understands and looks over every week so that your head of marketing, your customer service guy, your uh, you know, merchant account guy, all your different people know how well they're doing. They know who they need to help. They know what's going how well. And if you have a historical record of that for years, Dave, Mm -hmm. that's way more than 90% of businesses that sell. Uh, People just don't have good records. Another thing that's super important, and I think in the the online marketing world, uh, I I think this is sort of uh, less commonly the philosophy, but for for me, I I think it was critical for us getting a a substantial exit. is that although you might be cool and handy with your email marketing software, although you might be cool and handy with your Google Analytics, although you might be cool and handy with you know some kind of video marketing platform or something, mm-hmm. you should be coolest and handiest with QuickBooks. Right. Um, because uh, uh, at the end of the day, in terms of getting a buyer excited, so having a good broker helps a ton, by the way, Dave. I, I should mention that. What you want is you want a broker who you you can get legit evidence that this person has sold uh, many companies at your size, uh, potentially in a similar niche or space if possible. So if you can find a broker who's done that, that's going to help you. And I did find a a great broker who who had closed a lot of other seven figure deals. And so he had kind of the confidence to, to do a deal a little bit over a million bucks and kind of get, get the, 
get everything wrapped. Um, but uh, the 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 factor about QuickBooks is if when you're talking to buyers, what's going to happen is they're going to be looking at the balance sheets, they're going to be looking at the P and Ls, and they're going to be saying. Hey, what's this? What happened here? What happened during these months? What does this represent? Why do you spend less on advertising? You know, what happened with payroll during this period? What happened here? What happened there? And, and if you don't know that stuff, um, there's two things that happen. Number one, they get a little scared because anything that they don't get a good answer to, they start to feel is like a dark, like evil element of the business that's going to kind of lurk up and creep and kind of like destroy them. Um, And number two, they realize that you don't have a legitimate ongoing pulse of money, right? And they're buying you for money and they're buying you to consistently make money. So the ability to, um, to really own and understand your QuickBooks, look at your P&Ls, understand your patterns. One thing that, we ha- that I had to do, Dave, was I had a bookkeeping uh, firm, like a remote bookkeeping firm. They would update all the data every single week. They would do it every Friday. And on Tuesday, on Tuesday morning, we would have a conversation for like 20 minutes to 40 minutes. And I would just grill them with questions about all the patterns I was seeing. And after a couple months of doing that, it got to a point where I, I had, I was not an accountant. I am not an accountant, right. but I had an, an accountant level kind of brain perspective on the constant ongoings of cash flow. I started to get a deeper and deeper understanding of how to categorize different expenses to really tease out our opportunities for savings, to tease out the difference between a profitable and unprofitable month, to tease out the effects of marketing spend on other elements of the business, just by consistently having those conversations and being able to speak it with financial fluency to a buyer is extremely impressive because right. they, they want to know all those levers that are going to make money. They don't care about your marketing metrics if the bank account is getting smaller. Mm-hmm. Um, so financial fluency, just owning it for your own sake because it helps you sleep at night. Um, also, it, again, clean, clean financial records. Uh, so few businesses uh, have, and it's a major barrier to selling. Um, and uh, financial fluency about your own business makes a buyer feel like, man, this guy knows his stuff. And if we take his advice, we're going to keep bringing this stuff to the bottom line and, and printing out the bucks. And man, this is, a, this is a good deal. So having those skills locked in place is a very, very, very kind of conducive facet to a company that's going to actually sell. Now, when you sold your company and you seem to have said previously that you predicated it on the fact that you were basically like, here you go, I'm done, see you later. Yep. Uh, was that a barrier to getting it sold? Um, yeah, so it definitely like um, we were not asking for a profit multiple that was, you know, mm. completely out of this world. Like I forget what our total, uh, maybe it was like 3x profit was like the sales price, which is not an insane sales price. It was not asking too much. It was definitely not a low sales price, but it was, it was also not an exorbitantly high one. So we went kind of run of the mill for the price, but the the two elements of the business uh, of the transaction that were kind of a little bit tougher was that a, um, you know, I'm, I'm not keeping a salary and sticking around and doing a lot of stuff. Uh, And B uh, you know, we're going to need 90% of this in cash in a bank wire. Um, and those two things are kind of tough to stomach for a buyer. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what we did is we, the broker did a really good job basically promoting the business as a high growth business with a lot of potential. So we went from zero to well over 2 million bucks in about four years. I think we should be on the Inc 500 uh, for 2016's numbers. And so we're able to kind of say, hey, look, you know, this is 
you know, a little bit of a rocket ship for, for a, a small business here. We've got a lean team. We're doing really well. We've got great margins. Uh, we've got consistent growth. But you're not even going to pay, you know, a sky-high margin for this thing. Here's a, a regular old-fashioned sales price, but here's the terms we're going to need to get this regular old-fashioned sales price for a business that's actually pretty exciting. So mm -hmm. he played up all the good stuff um, and then said, you know, we're not going to ask you to pay a lot, but we are going to need terms that allow the buyer or allow the seller, that's me, Dan Fragella, to move right on and do his Silicon Valley thing. So we're going to need the, the dough um, up front. One thing that was really important there, Dave, got to drive this home for you, okay. is that for the three months before the business was sold, my work hours were under 20 hours per week consistently. So I was working sort of less than a part-time person would work. I was there for far less than half the company meetings, even, even important planning meetings and metrics meetings. And I had sort of started to really seriously step away. So the buyers were under the impression, hey, this thing's growing like a weed. It's making money. And this guy is basically out in Silicon Valley interviewing you know, mm. AI executives at Facebook while his company's over here making money. We could probably step in and get this done. So kind of the, the context was we got a lot of good things going for us, including I'm not very involved. And those were the things that let the buyers say, well, under those terms, okay, we'll get you the money up front. So that kind of helped push them over the edge. Now, was that a strategic idea or were you just busy doing what you wanted to do and that was a side benefit? To totally both. I mean, to be honest, I mean, I wish I was, I wish I'd been working on AI full-time this last four years instead <laughs> right. of, instead of, instead of part-time. Um, but I, I kind of had to straddle both worlds because I, I didn't want to give away half my company for, you know, yeah. uh, a series A or whatever. So, um, so I kind of had to, you know, do a little bit of both. So I, I really did want to be moving on and, and, uh, doing the other stuff. And that really was consuming a lot of my time. But at the same time, I also knew that my broker's story would be all the more better and better and better mm. if I'm sitting here as a part-time kind of director and we're still doing 200 something grand a month in, in revenue, um, that's going to look good uh, for the sale. So it was a little bit for both reasons. So if people want to get in touch with you and they want to keep abreast of your uh, upcoming project and where you're taking all this, where can they get in touch with you? Yeah, man. Um, I think, well, the, the, the two sites are, are um, the, the place where I actually write about what we talked about today in the marketing side, Dave, mm -hmm. is clvboost.com. It's just basically my marketing blog. I still send out an email every week blog there. I actually, I have one article in particular about kind of building systems to make, okay. to make the business saleable that I think would be relevant. I'll email that to you. And then uh, Tech Emergence is the market research firm in the AI space. As I mentioned, before as well, Dave, we just finished up some pretty substantial uh, kind of forward-looking work as to where is AI going to make marketing different in the next five years? How is marketing going to change as a landscape? Who's going to benefit? Uh, who's going to flop? There's way more insight than we were able to, to catch up on, but uh, that's all at techemergence.com, and I can I can find that link for you as well. So those would probably be relevant starting points. If people want to hit me, just you know, ping me on Twitter or something and say what's up. Tell me uh, you heard about me through uh, through the McMethod here, and, and we'll we'll just kind of rock and roll. Well, that's great. I think you've uh, given a lot of good information today, especially for people who are maybe in the throes, uh, like my friend I mentioned earlier, of starting a business and, yeah. and, and uh, could really, you know, help them down, down the road. Because I know people, he's kind of a, you know, serial entrepreneur, so I know he'll get sick of that eventually. So it's a, I want to get out. Yeah, it'll yep. be a good way to, to set it up up front so that he can uh, he can make it a nice a nice exit such big as time yeah, yeah I, I seriously hope that's helpful for folks again keeping that stuff in mind earlier rather than later is a way better way to do it 
Yeah, absolutely. Especially when regards to the financial records. And stuff. Oy, oy. Yeah, totally. Big, big. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Dan. It's just flown by. I mean, you've uh, given a lot of information for everyone else. Hopefully we'll get someone uh, as exciting uh, as Dan in the show next week, because I think there's a big world ahead of us and there'll be lots of exciting things coming down the pipeline. So we'll see you next week. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you want to discover more insider tips, tricks, and secrets about driving sales with email marketing, sign up for daily email tips from the autoresponder guy. Go to dropdeadcopy.com slash podcast. Sign up, confirm your email address, and I'll send you daily emails on how to improve your email marketing and make more sales via email. You'll find out why open rates don't matter and the seven-letter word that underlies all effective marketing and much more. Oh,